titled, Don't Give Satan a Beachhead. Don't Give Satan a Beachhead. And our text, primarily, that we'll be working through here tonight is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. And we'll be looking at the, that, those verses here in just a moment. That'll kind of be our, our text tonight. We'll look at a lot of passages. I'll have most of them up for you on the overhead so you can track with me on them. But uh, really an excellent study here tonight. I think the, the chapter is uh, so uh, relevant. Uh, as Warren Wiersbe points out, this idea of a beachhead is, is not giving place to the devil, not giving him an opportunity, a foothold, a place to operate from in your life. You know, we can walk in victory because God has given us that in Christ. But if we're not careful, we can also surrender certain areas in our life and give place to the enemy. And we become vulnerable if, we don't, if we're not diligent in uh, you know, our guard. And he's looking for those opportunities in our life. And we can, we can give up ground in our hearts and our minds and then the enemy now has a place to kind of set up a small encampment and to operate from and that beachhead uh, can if we're not careful it can become a stronghold uh, where he can really get kind of uh, settled in and dug in and uh, really begin to affect our lives and it, there's this demonic influence we're not possessed by the devil we're not possessed by a demon and yet, there's an area in our lives that we're not walking in victory. We've surrendered it, surrendered it over, and now the enemy has this opportunity to, to work havoc in our lives. So, uh, again, we're studying the strategy of Satan. This is his strategy. He's not going to come at you with an all-out frontal attack to try and overwhelm and destroy you in one, you know, one big battle. But he will look for opportunities to set up a beachhead, a stronghold, little areas in your life of compromise or vulnerability. And there, from there, he begins to work his destructive force in our lives. So uh, understanding this strategy will be helpful in our spiritual life in terms of defending against it and removing any of those areas that are currently uh, problematic for us. So. Uh, let's take a look at the text together, verse 25 through 32. We'll read it to, or follow with me. I'll read it for us. And uh, then we'll, we'll kind of identify, as, as our book did through the chapter, uh, some of the items that we need to be watchful for. Picking it up in Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not let and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Real practical Christianity here for us in these few verses. Very uh, straightforward exhortation. Guys, here's how we need to live. In light of all that God has done for us and all that He has empowered us with through the ministry of the Spirit, the work of Jesus Christ in salvation, now this is the way we need to be diligent in our walk and lifestyle. And you'll see it there in verse 27, nor give place to the devil. And so there that is kind of in the center of this paragraph. And these, all of these things that are mentioned are, in fact, places where, if we're not careful we give uh, the enemy a beachhead. So we'll work through some of these things mentioned one by one. The first thing we notice in verse 25 is lying. And again, I'm following the outline from our chapter in the book. Lying. Satan is a liar, Jesus said, and he is the father of lies. Uh, Jesus uh, spoke that in John 8:44, And so Satan himself is a liar, and he would like nothing more than for us to become liars and for us to believe lies. So lying is something we can actually kind of fall into ourselves, beginning to believe a lie, and then we can, of course, become tellers of lies. But it is important what we believe be the truth. In fact, Wearsby, I'll quote him here, he says, when you believe the truth, the Holy Spirit can work in your life. When you believe a lie, the devil can work in your life. So Satan works and operates in deception, and lying is a way that he will look to gain access, either getting you to believe a lie or getting you to need to lie. And then you kind of get into a pattern of lying, and then now you're vulnerable for the enemy to operate. Uh, Philippians 4 and verse 8 tells us to be mindful of the truth. I'll quote it to you. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Very important that we be mindful of truth, that we be meditating on truth. These are the things that we should be thinking about. Don't, don't begin to meditate on lies, on those things. And, you know, sometimes you're not intentionally, but, but Satan kind of makes you feel something. Uh, and, and he introduces a thought. And then you begin to stew on that. And it's not even truth. It's not even reality. You can misunderstand your spouse. Your wife can say something to you and you misinterpret it. But you believe that she meant this. And you begin to think on that. And you begin to meditate on that. And, and you can't wait to give her a piece of your mind about that. And, and, and when you get home, you're going to straighten her out on that. And then you find out she didn't even... What are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Don't deny it. I've been, I've been working up this line all day. I know exactly what's going on here. And because your mind is meditating on something that isn't even true. Satan has introduced a lie. Satan has whispered something into your mind and you're vulnerable. And now you're meditating on it. The Bible says here, meditate on those things that are true. Put the word of God into your mind. Put some scripture to memory. You know, you know, believe the best. The Bible says that love hopes all things instead of thinking the worst let's think the best of one another of our spouses let's try to meditate on things that are are noble and of virtue lest we become vulnerable to the deceits of the devil but not only what we meditate on guys but what we ourselves say 
A number of verses here I want to reference out of 1 John. Notice how all of these are in reference to what we say. John 1, 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive who? Ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So that's one thing. We don't want to be lying to ourselves. Oh, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, good. I'm good. I got it under control. I don't have a problem in that area. I'm all right. I, I'm doing well. If we say that we have no sin, it's better to confess our sin and be forgiven. Better to be honest in our heart. Now, we're not looking for things. We're not trying to make things up about ourselves. But we, but we want to be more like the psalmist. Lord, search my heart and see if there's any hurtful way in me. Lord, I, I want to be an open book before you. I don't want to be standing on my own defense and feeling good about myself. God, search my heart. Show me. Reveal those things, those areas in my life. Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not yet the image of Jesus Christ. And so I invite you, Lord, to, to, to point those things out, not in a condemning way, but in a, in, a, in a godly, ministering kind of way where the Holy Spirit begins to put his finger on various areas in our life, and we submit those to him. Lord, that's true. I need to do better in that. Forgive me, Lord. Give me the grace to walk in that. So let's not be saying that we're without sin because we're just kidding ourselves. Verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 4 he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. Oh, yeah, I'm a believer, strong Christian. Oh, yeah, I go to Calvary Chapel. Oh, yeah, I've been walking with the Lord for years and years. But my lifestyle is completely outside the, what, you know, what we would consider to be uh, the biblical exhortations. And, and we practice sinful practices, and we, we, we don't live. We say we love him. But we don't keep his commandments, his commandments to love one another, his commandments to love him with all of our heart. And the Bible says, you're kidding yourself. That's that you're giving place to a lie. And that that kind of compromise makes you vulnerable for Satan to come in. And, and then you wonder, why is everything going so bad? Why is Satan seeming to overwhelm me? Why is my life kind of falling apart in these various areas? Why is my marriage struggling? Why, why are these issues going down like this? Well, it may be that you're not walking in truth, and Satan has got you deceived, and you're, being, you're, you're also speaking lies, and your, your life is, is reaping the fruit of that. 1 John 4 and verse 20, if, an, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is what? A liar, for he does not love he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? I love the Lord, but I just hate that guy. You know, those are the you know the, those are the kinds of inconsistencies where there's some there's something wrong, there's truth missing. You're saying that you love God, but you can't love God and have that kind of contempt for a brother in Christ. That's someone that Jesus gave his blood for also. And so if Jesus loves this person as much as he does, and I say that I love Jesus, if, if this person's important to Jesus, he's got to become of value to me. I don't have the option to hate him or to, you know, just brush him aside. I've got to ask God, Lord, give me the grace to walk in love with my brothers because that's the commandment that you've given to me. So what we say about ourselves and, and then, of course, uh, Again, look at verse 25 there in Ephesians. 
It expounds on it. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We need to be thinking on the truth. We need to be telling our, believing the truth within and about ourselves. And we also really need to be speaking truth one to another. And Paul says, because we're members of one another. I don't want to be lied to. Do you? And so we're members. We're, we're part of a family. I, I don't want to be lied to. And, and I, I know how it feels when someone kind of deceives me or lies to me. And it, you know, it, it frustrates the relationship and the fellowship. And so I don't want to be that way. We're members of one another. And so we need to be mindful that when we speak to one another, let's speak the truth. Also in Ephesians 4, earlier in that chapter, Paul would say, speak the truth in love. Don't just blast somebody with the truth. Speak, learn to speak the truth in love. We need to be speaking truthfully to one another. We need to be uh, honest about our own selves, about our own needs, our own nature. And we need to be truthful people. Lying is one of those things, you know, that, that can become a stronghold. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this, but you, when they're saying something to you, in the back of your mind, you know it's not true. It be, be, and, and it's because you've learned through experience in their character that this person is prone to misrepresenting the truth. And, 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 you know, you've heard the saying, they're only lying when their lips are moving. And some people, you know, you, they're telling you something and, and they're acting like it's true, but in your heart, you hope it's true, but you have doubts. And that's a pattern. That's someone that has allowed Satan to uh, create this kind of a character trait in their life. And it becomes a beachhead, an opportunity for Satan to take advantage of us in many ways. Secondly, tonight in verse 26, the other area that uh, is mentioned for us is anger. Look with me again in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Some more verses for you to consider on this subject. Jesus would say that anger really is a root, one of the roots for murder. In Matthew 5:21, he says, "You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, Jesus goes a little deeper. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, empty head, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. This anger, Jesus warns, you know, you've heard not to murder. And that, of course, is true. But even the anger that wells up and the name calling and that that striking out in anger, even that, Jesus says, that's the very root that leads to murder. And Paul is identifying it for us in Ephesians. You know, be angry. There are some things that are appropriate to be angry, angry with. The Bible tells us we're called to hate evil. Uh, there is something, of, I believe, of a, of a righteous anger. When something evil happens, when someone is abused, when, you know, some of the things that we read or hear even in the news, you know, children being terribly abused and you see some of these crimes, something in us is like angered at that. Oh, that's so horrible. Um, but, and, and that is an appropriate type of anger and you can be angry even at sin. There are times when I, but we, we got to be really careful, guys. 
Because remember, we are weak and by nature um, imperfect. And so anger, you know, not every time we're angry is it this righteous indignation. Be careful. There are times when I believe, you know, the Lord is, can be angry. And there are times when we will be angered. Jesus was angry. Remember when they were uh, turning the temple of God into a, you know, a money-changing event, you know. He went in there and overturned the tables. We see Jesus in a very different light, angered that they had kind of, you know, turned the house of God, which should have been a house of prayer, into an opportunity for money-making. And that angered him, and he, he, he expressed that. But we need to be very careful that our anger does not turn into sinful, carnal anger. And oftentimes our anger, to be honest, is more of a selfish type of anger. We're angry because, you know, someone's not doing what I want them to do or they're not saying what I want to hear or they're not, you know, treating me the way I want to be treated. And it's a selfish kind of a retaliation anger. And this can become, of course, an area of Satan to take advantage. Losing our temper. Becoming even, you know, it's possible to become very, you know, outspoken. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, you have this anger and then, you, and then it boils out in the, in the way you, you speak to one another. Jesus would say of Satan also that he was a murderer from the beginning. So, um, Wearsby points out, I think, very correctly that sinful anger will always lead to more sin. A couple more verses here for you. Galatians 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now look at this list, guys, and look what's in here, kind of in the middle. Some of these things, obvious, these are, these are works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Look, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think I've highlighted for you yeah, that, that, that idea of hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, that sinful anger. It's a work of the flesh. And uh, I think as men, maybe we wrestle with this more than, than, than women by nature. Um, and it's, it's, it really can become an area where the enemy can work his destruction. Uh, it causes problems in your own life. It, causes, it can cause problems in your home. And it will definitely hinder your ministry. Can you imagine, you know, you want to be somebody useful in ministry, but you've got a really short fuse. And, you know, every few months or so, you know, you're asking somebody in church, hey, step outside, let's settle this outside. <laughs> you know, that, that's just not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> uh, so it, it just becomes a real stronghold. In fact, uh, Paul in giving instructions to Timothy about uh, selecting people to be useful in ministry, 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, he said, make sure that you, you select someone that's not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome. 
Also in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, speaking of someone that would want to be useful in ministry, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. So anger, something we've got to learn to give over to the Lord. Uh, if, you know, if it becomes a pattern, you've, you've got an issue. You've got Satan now working, in, and, and he knows what buttons to push, Right? Listen, Satan will set you up. He'll, he knows just how to work your day towards, you know, this encounter that he's already mapping out for you that is going to boil you over. And uh, that's why you, you just can't be given to that. There has to be some victory in this area. Otherwise, it becomes an area for Satan to operate in your life. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't hold on to anger. Don't brood. Don't meditate. Don't replay it in your mind. The offense. Yeah, you don't know. They, what they did was wrong. What he said, what she said. Oh, man, it makes me so mad. And you play it over and you replay it. And you imagine how you're going to respond when you get the opportunity. You ever had this? I can remember. There'd be something going on at work, right? And on the way to work, I'd be already planning how I'm going to... And I'd be, I'd be worked up in the car, you know. And I, then I'd think what they're going to say. And then I'm going to say this. And I'd be having this full-on argument, you know. And then I'd come up to a red light and people pull up. And i you know, I'd settle it down and then get moving again. And then I'm going to say this. And, you know, you can just get yourself uh, almost uh, talked into a, to an argument. And uh, it's because you're brooding. That's why Paul says, don't let the sun go down. Let it go. Get it settled. Resolve it. Take it to the Lord. You're going to be offended. People aren't always going to treat you right. People are going to do things that are wrong. People are going to do things that are unfair. They're going to say things that are hurtful. It's not. You can't avoid opportunities for anger. But you can, by the grace of God, learn to respond properly in those moments. And don't brood on it. That's why... Meditate on these things that are true and are good and are virtuous. Let your mind dwell on these things. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself uh, really given over to uh, outbursts of anger. All right, number three, uh, in verse 28 of our text, we see stealing. Stealing, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. The devil is a thief. And so this is a character trait that he looks to produce in those that he's endeavoring to you know, destroy their lives. John 10, verse 10. The thief, referencing Jesus, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan wants to rip us off, and Satan wants to create in us that same kind of character trait. I like what Wearsby says here, and I'll quote him. Uh, Some people steal time, others rob God by unfaithful giving, and still others hold back money that belongs to others. You know, talking about those subtle ways uh, that we can become. Uh, thieves, so to speak. You know, you say, oh, I don't steal. I mean, I've never, you know, walked in and, and armed, uh, you know, robbed a, 
a, a liquor store. I don't steal, you know. I, I don't take things that don't belong to me. But, but it may be other ways that you subtly uh, borrow time at work by just not being faithful at work. Uh, that you're, you know, you, you know, you're not faithful in your your giving to the Lord, whatever the Lord has laid upon your heart. And you know, if you have it, fine. If I don't have it, uh, you know, nobody knows, nobody sees. It's just between you and the Lord. But you know, the prophet Malachi came and called the people out. Say, listen, you're you're not being faithful and diligent in managing the resources that I've entrusted to you, and you're stealing. The Bible says you're robbing from God. God would, would, would say, listen, I've given you everything. Now you be faithful with what I've given to you, and I'll give you more. You know, be faithful with the resources that God has entrusted to us. Be content with those resources and trust the Lord uh, to give all that you need. So this idea of stealing, like I said, it's not always blatant, but sometimes in subtle ways. And he says, rather, let him labor. Instead of being a taker, be a giver. You know, work hard. Be diligent with your time, with your resources, so that you'll have something of an abundance, that you'll be able to bless others, that you'll have opportunity to be generous. Now, I know that we're going through some difficult economic times, and I know many of you are struggling even to find consistent work. And, you know, so you'd like to work, but there's not enough work available right now. And it might even be attempting to, you know try to take advantage of certain things or opportunities. You know, honor the Lord. Don't give Satan an opportunity. Don't compromise in these kind of what you might consider to be small, subtle ways because it leads, it gives the enemy an opportunity to begin to manipulate things in your life. And so uh, be careful. Be faithful with what you have. And I know that, you know, when you don't have enough, you don't have enough. And you have to pray and you have to trust the Lord. And you, you can't give if you don't have to give. But your heart should be, you know, wanting to work and be faithful so that we'll have, you know, opportunity to be generous and help others. And uh, when, you know, you're going through a tr- tough time, you may come into blessing. And in that season, you can look to be a blessing to others and be helpful. You know, take somebody out to lunch. Pick up the tab. Uh, you know, just just bless some people if you can, if God's given you the resource to do that. Small ways that you can bless one another. And, and I think that's the spirit here. Don't don't look for ways to take advantage, but look for ways to bless others and be diligent. Number four, filthy speech. The New King James uses corrupt words. Get my notes here, sorry. The reference really is for rotten, worthless words. Look at verse 29. Let let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So how we talk is an area that needs to be submitted to the Lord, and it can become uh, an opportunity for Satan. Rotten, worthless words, filthy speech. The New Living Translation says, Don't use foul or abusive language. The NIV says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Jesus would tell us this in Matthew 15:11. It's not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Because it's out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus says, that the mouth speaks. 
you know, he's saying that in the context, you know, the, the, the religious leaders were so concerned about their diet, you know, kosher. And Jesus is pointing out, you know, what's, it's not what you eat that's going to defile you, but boy, what comes out. Those things, those words that, that you say, because in, in when you say those words, it gives us a, a window into what's in your heart and what you're meditating on, what's, in your, what's on your mind. And so how important it is that our, that our conversation be godly. Again, I, I, I quote Wearsby here. I, I think this is very insightful. If Satan can get us to think about sin and then to talk about sin, he will have an easier time tempting us to commit sin. And that is kind of the progr- progression that it makes, isn't it? It becomes something of a thought. If you think and meditate on something long enough, it starts slipping into your conversation. If, uh, if you're meditating on it, you've got to be careful what you're watching, what you're viewing, what you're putting in, because what's going in is going to begin to kind of percolate in your heart, and then it's going to come out in conversation, and then ultimately even in your actions. So don't let these kinds of words be coming out, but rather what is good for necessary edification. That word edification means to build up. Instead of tearing down, let your words look to build, not to destroy or tear down, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, again, I I think as men, maybe we have, um, you know, a little more of a challenge here. You know, uh, some of us are, some, some men are very careful in mixed company. But you get them in the locker room or you get them out on the golf course, you get them in kind of, you know, uh, out on the fishing or you get them in a, in a guy's environment and it's like all of a sudden, you know, here comes the language, here comes the off-color jokes, here comes the crude kind of comments. And uh, you, you, we take, tend to take liberties because we imagine that it's kind of just harmless or it's funny or, uh, you know, we need to be careful. It can become a beachhead. They've become an opportunity for Satan to come in and begin to manipulate destruction into your life. Words are important and how we need to be uh, asking the Lord to give us grace in our conversation. Number five, verses 30 and 32, an unforgiving spirit. Boy, this, is, uh, this becomes a real uh, poison. Verses 30 through 32, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. An unforgiving spirit. Those attitudes there in, in verse 31. Let all bitterness wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are the types of things that show up in a heart that is holding on to unforgiveness. That that word bitterness. Unforgiveness will, if you're not careful, it'll turn into bitterness. It's almost like a poison. When you're harboring unforgiveness in your own heart, it's your own well that you are poisoning. It is your life that will suffer the most. You're, you're, you're holding something against someone else. And in your mind, you're imagining that, you know, you're really, you know, you're, you're inflicting something on them just by, 
you know, I'm not forgetting this. You know, I'll never forget that, you know. And, and you're holding on, but you're the one that's suffering. Your own spiritual life is being damaged. Your own grace uh, of, of God flowing through your life is being hindered. You're not really affecting the person you're holding a grudge against much at all as compared to what's going on in your own life. You know, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 12, verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And bitterness is just like a root. It goes down deep and and roots itself. Not easy to, to get it out. Once you've held on to something, a grudge, an offense, and you've held on to it for for weeks, for months, for years, and it and it becomes a, almost a part of your nature that just roots down. And the and the Bible warns, don't let these bitter things root down because eventually they're going to spring up. They're going to bring fruit. Eventually, they're going to show up and they're going to manifest and they're going to defile you, yourself and others. You guys, I, mean, I know you, some of these things that we hear about in the news, you know, these, these uh, murder-suicide types of things, right, where there's a, a couple in dispute, you know, a, a marriage gone bad, and, you know, somebody over time freaks out, goes in, kills the kids, shoots the wife, shoots himself. I mean, this is, as crazy as that sounds, you know, this is what's going on. And what's happened in that heart? How does someone go to that place? It's a, the devil has gotten an opportunity because of unforgiveness and bitterness, and it has morphed into this insanity. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. If he can get you offended... And if he can stoke that in you and keep you in unforgiveness, it will morph into bitterness and it will poison your spiritual life. Notice what, what this passage says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. As you're holding on to unforgiveness, you're actually resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're, you have to push the Holy Spirit aside. Because the Holy Spirit isn't going to be bringing fruit of unforgiveness into your heart and life. So while you're holding on to that, you're quenching something else. You're stopping the flow of grace into your own life. Isn't that what Jesus, I mean, Jesus would say, listen, if you're not willing to forgive others, how is it that you would expect God's going to forgive you? This is a real, real bitter uh, pill, guys, a real stronghold and something that the enemy, even amongst Christians, uses very effectively. And I like what Wearsby said, the only remedy is forgiveness. Listen, the only remedy is forgiveness. No, no. The only remedy is he needs to apologize or she needs to recognize what's happened. That's the remedy. You need, they need to know what they've done. They need to tell me they're sorry. They need to swear on with blood they'll never do that again. And then, then, that's the remedy. We want you know, vindication. The only way to protect your heart from unforgiveness is to forgive. It's just that simple. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You've got to learn to allow the grace of God 
to help you forgive. You remember Peter talking to Jesus? I imagine that Peter thought this was a really noble gesture of his. Peter came to him in Matthew 18:21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I'm willing to go seven, Lord. What do you think about that? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You see, the key for us to be able to forgive is really there in verse 32 of our text. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. We don't have time to look at it, but you know that parable where Jesus talks about that that servant who was forgiven a huge amount by his master. And then he went out and tried to extract a small amount from one of his servants, very unwilling and unrelenting and unforgiving. And his master came and said, What's wrong with you? I forgave you so much, and now you are trying to squeeze out the, the last bit from this person that you're unwilling to be, for, you know, walk in forgiveness? And I think we have to consider that in all of our lives. How much has the Lord forgiven you? If you're righteous before him tonight through your faith in Jesus, and you are, if you have faith in Jesus, how much has he forgiven you? Just this week, how much has God been willing to forgive? So you see, that's the impetus for us. As God has been so gracious and forgiving to me because I deserve it, because I'm really special, or because I try really hard, or, uh, you know, because of his love for me. Thank God for his mercy. And boy, we're all about wanting mercy, but it's hard to give it. So God would, would call us to forgive even as he has forgiven us. That's the model. And guys, that's the power. Let's be honest. It's not easy to forgive and I, I, I find that I don't have the strength within myself to do it. But because of his forgiveness, because of what he has done for me and what I'm asking him to do in and through me, I find the capacity to forgive. And, and, and it takes faith. I have to trust, my, trust the outcome to the Lord. I can't right every wrong. I can't fix every circumstance. I just have to turn it over to the Lord. And trust him, because ultimately he has our destiny in his hand. Finally here tonight, number six, slander. It's there in verse 31. It's in the New King James. It's, it's evil speaking. And, um, of course, we've been talking about words and, and various things. But the, the, the reference here is more about this kind of talking bad about others and even possibly like a gossip situation. Look with me again in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So this is an opportunity for the enemy to work trouble in your life and through your life. Evil speaking. Hey, did you hear what happened uh, to so-and-so last week? Oh, man, I hate to say it, but this is what happened. Oh, hey, did you hear? Hey, have I ever told you about this guy? Hey, by the way, see that guy? Let me tell you something about him. Evil speaking, gossip. 
and we begin to talk down of even our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it becomes an opportunity for Satan to work in your life. It becomes an opportunity for Satan to work through your life. You know this is one of the, the, the biggest uh, and most destructive forces in the life of churches, in the life of families. It's the rumors. It's the gossips. It's the false accusations. It's the spreading of the stories. It's, it's telling the truth, but in a certain context that leaves out certain details. Oh, all I, all I told him was the truth. Yeah. And you should have just kept quiet. You know, you told him something that wasn't appropriate. It wasn't, you know, and you air the laundry. And, and it happens even in the church. Do we have dirty laundry? Of course we do. <laughs> We're people. Well, you have people, you have problems. And so then it becomes kind of this opportunity to, you know, to make things public and to spread gossip and rumor. You know, I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't want to, this, I'm not saying this to condemn anyone that's involved in these types of things, but this is just a perspective. And I think we have to be really careful with even some of our internet communication. You know, the Facebook scene, the whole social media it's a re it can become a real hotbed for gossip. I mean, that's just true. Not that that's why you're engaged in it and, and not that that's anything you're doing. I'm simply saying you've got to be careful because that's just stuff is flying around all, all around. I mean, I find out more things through people telling me what's happening via their fa Facebook. Did you hear about so-and-so? No. Oh, I saw it on Facebook. Anyway, they're getting married. <laughs> oh, they're getting married. Oh, well, great, yeah. Oh, yeah, did you hear about so-and-so? They were in Hawaii. No. Oh, yeah, I saw pictures on Facebook. I mean, I, you know, so much of our lives now. And it's just something, that, you know, evil speaking. Uh, again, these things are innocent and harmless. They can be great communication tools, especially for families and friends to stay connected. Even in, And we have, we have a Facebook page for the church. These are not evil, bad things. And I don't mean to, again, cast any shadow on, on anyone that uses them effectively for good purposes. I'm simply saying, be careful. Facebook is just one of them. You can sit down and have coffee face-to-face -face and have gossip and evil speaking. So, And it becomes something that the enemy uses. Um, there is a reference in, the, in our text, in, in the book, uh, he references out of 1 Timothy 3.11. He, he talks about the word slander. Again, that's in that uh, as Paul is instructing Timothy on who to select for those to be useful in ministry, those to be spiritual leaders in the church, make sure they're not guilty of slander. Even deacons and their wives, make sure that they're not slanderers. And the King James, I think, translates it malicious gossip. The actual Greek word that's used there, is diabolos, from which we get the word devil, because it means literally a false accuser, a malicious gossip. Remember we looked some, time, some lessons back, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and that's what's, what's being referenced here, this, this evil speaking. You don't want to do the devil's work for him. You don't want to be the, the accuser the, of the brethren. That's Satan's role. We don't want to be speaking evil of one another, but rather we want to be looking to build one another up. When we gossip and speak evil of one another, 
we actually do the devil's work for him. There's a couple things that the Lord hates, a number of things that the Lord hates. It's listed in Proverbs 6, just pointing out this one item in verse 19 of Proverbs 6. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. That is on the hate list for for God. You want to know, there are a number of things that God hates. Here's one of them. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. This is a real tool for the enemy and God really dislikes it. How, How do we handle legitimate sin? You know, we don't want to be spreading false rumors, but but what if somebody really is living in sin and we know about it? What do we do? You know, do we talk to everyone else about it? No. There is there is some biblical application for us. I, I mean, it's not like you, you can never say anything bad about anybody. Listen, if somebody's doing something wrong, we may need to talk about it. We may need to address it. But obviously we're talking about that slanderous kind of evil speaking, gossiping. But what about, you know, when we really do need to confront something, when something that that, that needs to be dealt with is going on? Does the Bible give us some instruction? And it does. There are a number of passages. I'm just giving you Galatians 6 and verse 1 here tonight. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So if there's something that you believe needs to be addressed in somebody's life, and if you're spiritual, you you address it in a spirit of gentleness, in meekness, and trying to restore, not running looking to tell the story to everyone you can and talking them down. And this brother's got issues. Man, you just, just watch yourself around him. There's issue, you know, in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. Let's try to restore one another. That's part of the the idea, really, of the iron sharpens iron, right? That's part of the idea of a men's fellowship is that we would kind of hold one another accountable in a godly, gentle, humble sort of way, not looking down uh, down at one another, but rather recognizing, hey, we're all just men, and I want to help you, and I want you to help me. That's why he says, you know, considering yourself also, lest you be tempted. We're We're all just... One step away from stumbling, guys. There are no fortresses among us here. We're all weak and vulnerable. And we need one another. And we need to protect one another. And we need to encourage one another. And we need the grace of God in our lives. And there's a humility and a willingness to, as men, just come alongside one another and encourage one another rather than speak evil of one another. I've got just a couple more verses that, I, that are not in our text in the book, but I just thought were relevant for us here tonight, and I'll close. Just a couple of, a few verses for you, because, you know, as I mentioned to you, some of these beachheads, um, if, they, if they're allowed to kind of, you know, exist in your life for any amount of time, you know, they become more than just a beachhead, Right. They become, the Bible talks about, a stronghold. So in Ephesians, he's saying, don't give place. Don't don't let your guard down. Don't give any room. Don't surrender any territory. But there are other places where the Bible talks about having to tear down strongholds. 
This is a beachhead that has now become, you know, a habit, a, a, a real stronghold in your life. And I want to give you just a few practical verses on how to deal with strongholds in your life. This is not a full-blown study on this topic, but since we're talking about this, I wanted to give you some verses and just a few thoughts from my own heart and what I've noticed practically in my own life and, and in praying for others. There is that the, something that the Bible talks about in sowing to the Spirit, that is, strengthening the spiritual man. And a couple verses come to mind. Galatians 5 and verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Paul says, listen, your flesh is going to want to rule your life. You can't allow it, and you've got to contend with it through the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. Strengthen the Spirit man. He would go on to say in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he, he will also reap. For, what, uh, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Sow to the Spirit. If you're having struggle in the flesh, don't try to fight the flesh, but rather strengthen the Spirit. Feed the Spirit. I think it's Pastor Chuck who gives this analogy. You know, you, you have two dogs in a fight. One's been well fed and cared for and rested and nourished. The other one's been barely fed and undernourished and, and, and not had a place to sleep. and kind of, You put those two dogs in a fight, who's going to win? The well-fed, the well-nourished dog is going to tear apart the weak dog. And so if you're feeding the flesh, constantly nourishing and strengthening and feeding the, all of those, those things that, that create fleshly desires, and then, and, and, but very little time to the spirit, you scarcely pray. You don't really spend much time in your word. You're at church kind of on occasion, and then you wonder why you can't have victory over the flesh. Your spirit man is depleted and weak, and the flesh is raging. So you've got to learn how to starve the flesh and feed the spirit, and then you can have victory in those areas. The other thing, and again, just a couple verses, is a lot of it is what goes on in your mind, guys. Uh, Romans 6.11 Likewise also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a reckoning that needs to take place in your mind. Sin is dead in my life and I am now alive to Christ Jesus. You say, but yeah, I don't really, I don't live like that all the, all the time. Well, it it may not be manifested yet completely in your actions, but it needs to be reckoned in your mind. That's that word, reckon. Consider this to be true. And therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Very similar to what we read in Ephesians. Don't give place to the devil. He says in Romans, don't let sin reign. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Finally, and I know I'm kind of 
rapid firing these, but I want to just give as much as I could to you in our time tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For what? For pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. As you look back on our list here tonight, I think you'll, you'll agree that a lot of these things are battles that are fought in the mind. A lot of it is what we're meditating on, thinking about. That's where anger seems to brood. That's where unforgiveness seems to find, you know, we're, we're thinking about it. Uh, that's where unwholesome words, because it's been meditated upon, now it's coming out of your mouth. So much of what the, the enemy uses to trip us up and, and set up little strongholds, beachheads, little areas to work from in our lives are, th- are things that he gets us to think on. Improper thinking. We need to be thinking of ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. And we need to be taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And when those thoughts come, when those imaginations come, when those images come, the Bible says that our weapons are not weak, but are divinely powerful. God has given us the Holy Spirit. God has given us the mind of Christ. God has given us His Word. It's not like we're, we're unarmed, unequipped. God has given us those tools that we need to take those thoughts captive into, and, and bring them into obedience to Christ. As Paul said in Philippians, meditate on these things. Be diligent in your thought life, and I believe it will bring fruit in your spiritual life. One uh, a quote, you know, a pastor friend of mine used to say it all the time. Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a destiny. This is exactly the way the enemy wants to work in our life. Set up a little beachhead, a place to operate from in your life, and begin to develop it into a stronghold, and then look to steal, kill, and destroy your spiritual life, your spiritual effectiveness, your ministry, your home, everything that he can lay his hands on. So it behooves us to be mindful of his strategy and to be aggressive in our defense and uprooting those areas of beachhead that he may uh, be trying to work into our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this study tonight. We thank you for the wisdom of your word. And God, I just, I'm reminded and I want to remind these men, Lord, you've given us everything we need. Sin shall no longer be master over us. We do not have to live in bondage. We do not have to live without ever really finding victory in these areas. You have given us the tools and the resources. We have your word. We have the Holy Spirit, a new nature. We have the mind of Christ. You've given us everything that we need, Peter said, pertaining to life and godliness. So help us to apply these things. Help us us to walk in them, Lord. Help us to be diligent in our prayer life, in our meditative life, in our reading of the Word, in our fellowship, in our connecting with brothers in Christ, in our prayer life, in just bringing uh, 
our hearts to you regularly in our worship life, surrendering, yielding, honoring you. Lord, as we sow to the Spirit, your word says that we will reap life and peace. And this is our desire, Lord. Help us as men to walk in these victories. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.